Piety. Welcome to Pith and Piety. So welcome to the first episode of Pith and Piety. Uh, I am Matt Wallace. I'm Matt Pally. I'm Ryan Traeger. And with us today is our special guest. Dave Shockey. Dave Shockey. Welcome, Dave. What a guy. So uh, just by way of introduction, um, I, Matt Wallace, am, uh, I do video graphics. I teach part-time at Purdue right now. Uh, I went to Denver Seminary a little bit ago uh, in, for theology. Um, I am currently at a Methodist church. Uh, I've formally identified as Anglican. Uh, Matt, you want to? Uh, Matt Pally. I'm an architect by day, and uh, in the evenings I do a little catechesis <laughs> of uh, young junior high kids and uh, help out doing general graphic stuff and whatever they tell me to do at St. Mary's Cathedral uh, up the hill here. I'm Ryan Traeger. I am a... My voice sounds awful. Guys, I'm sick. Anyway. <laughs> That's I'm nothing new. the associate pastor at Grace United Methodist Church here in Lafayette, Indiana, and... Um, I'll, I'll say that I'm, I'm going to dabble in representing the atheists and agnostics in the world in our Ooh. podcast. That's, that's Devil's my advocate. I'm, yeah, I'm, I am literally Satan's advocate on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, Dave Shockey, I am a pastor at Purdue Christian Campus House. I direct mobilization, which is where faith and action intersect. Uh, my theological background is through the vineyard. And uh, I went to school at Purdue and did seven years in business before entering into the realm of paid ministry. Mm. Yeah. Vineyard. Nice. So is, it a, is Campus House a vineyard no. church? No. Okay. No. Nope. Right. That was your yeah. coming through. That's how you kind of had your formation, was through Vineyard. And then you yeah, yeah, I did my theological training at Vineyard, and now I'm serving at Campus House, which is a non-denominational church on Purdue's campus. Okay. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, that's the big mushroom-shaped building off of 26 oh. on campus. It's, it's kind of an amazing building because it's kind of uh, so ugly. It's cute. It's, <laughs> it's like a pug. It's real ugly. <laughs> uh, Leave it to the Catholic architect. Yeah. You say... That building was ugly, it's but cute. Well, well, we worship God there, yeah. so it's cute. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell us uh, what what's the mission of Campus House? If it's like in the thirty second bit. What is it? Elevator speed. You pitch. do there. Well, to elevator pitch it, we reach, prepare, and mobilize students at Purdue University. Uh, so, really, the idea is that we are a church on Purdue's campus that. Uh, welcome students in uh, and we really strive to walk alongside them in the most formative years of their life i mean college you're making decisions that will impact the rest of your lives and so and really set the trajectory of where you're going so we work alongside them to help them process some of the important questions about life and metaphysical reality that they may not do at a stem school like purdue and help answer questions um, about faith and help them hopefully meet and begin to follow Jesus. Awesome. Well, then also putting their faith into action. Awesome. Yeah. So I think one of the hopes for this podcast was, was specifically for Lafayette and West Lafayette, I think they call that Greater Lafayette, to highlight some things that people of faith or maybe not of faith that might be uh, interested in hearing more, um, highlight some things that local leaders are doing and are passionate about in ways that... Um, our local community can get involved. So Dave, is there anything that you're really passionate about? 
Yeah, uh, I am personally very passionate about unity in the body of Christ. So a coming together of Christians from different denominational backgrounds, different racial and socioeconomic backgrounds to worship God together, not a false ecumenicism where we just like, you know, I don't know, program some things together, but really coming together in prayer and worship and community. So there are a number of different initiatives that I've been working on both on campus and in the community to foster that. That's great. How do you how do you go about reaching out to other denominations? Because some denominations aren't really mm-hmm. as open about right. ecumenicalism. Yep. How, how do you how have you been going about that? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, so it's it's a challenge because there's so much defensiveness, I think, inside of the body of Christ that for, I don't know, maybe 500 years, we've been putting up walls of saying why we're going to divide with each other rather than trying to build bridges and say, here's how we can unite with each other. So the moment that we get someone up to teach exegetically from the Bible, it's going to start building divisions because we carry different theological convictions Mm -hmm. that are important, but don't actually lead to unity. But is there a way that we can draw together is a question that I ask that doesn't you know, forego our theological convictions, but does not hinge on those being the central piece of why we connect the the divisive parts. So I, there's a organization on campus that I work with called Unite, where we bring together um, Catholics and Protestants and Protestants and Protestants and Protestants (laughs) (laughs) to uh, pray and worship together. It's called Unite. I think I said that, but uh, So it was really a big challenge to say, okay, how can our Catholic brothers and sisters and the Protestants and Protestants and Protestants and Protestants come together in a way that is a genuine, like, time of prayer and worship, but is not divisive? So what we settled on is instead of, you know, putting up a pastor or someone from one of the organizations to preach from that perspective, we focused on really three things. Uh, It was prayer, and so we could pray together where we're talking to God, and that will have different accents based on the um, tradition that we come from. It'll be worship where we can sing songs. We'll have to select the songs carefully so that we're not Mm -hmm. accidentally stepping on each other's toes or saying something we don't mean to. Uh, And then the third piece, instead of having preaching, we had testimony. So students whose lives were impacted by Jesus would share kind of their death to life experience or, you know, their no faith to faith experience. And so even though we're careful to, and the students were even more passionate about this, of not saying what uh, church they were a part of, um, Uh, during the testimonies, you could just hear where these people came from. If it was a more... one of the guys uh, is a Catholic, and so his faith really relied more on some sacramental mm-hmm. elements than, say, one of the people who met Jesus through a crew conference or a Greek IV conference. And so you could hear and see some of the contrast and differences, but you also could see this beautiful picture of people really meeting Jesus and their lives being verifiably different. So we could all come together and say, yes, that is death to life. That is amazing. So... That's awesome. So do you then have any system for turning people back out in being Christ in the world following one of those things? One of the, one of the things that, as you were talking, I was thinking about in the United Methodist Church, we like to say that we're connectional, but we have a lot of redundancy of ministries, mm-hmm. especially even here in Lafayette. Like, yeah. we all have our own youth group. We all have food pantries that we serve. We all, and, and if we were mm-hmm. connectional in 
a more broad sense, I guess I'm curious, could a campus be more mm -hmm. connectional in that way as far as serving? That's really good. I, uh, I've been pondering recently, as we've been asking hard questions in our ministry of, are we more of a church? Are we more of a campus ministry? How do we operate just based on the fact that we're, you know, 90% student, so our fundraising models look different. We have 11 parking spaces, so we're never going to be that welcoming to families. Um, but I, you know, and I don't want to step on people's toes because this is going out into everywhere, but just asking that question, are we a church or the campus ministry, something about the arrogance of the church set in where a single group of believers could say, we're the church in Lafayette and that we somehow can be independent and take care of all of our own needs. And I don't know if it's American individualism or what that sets in where we just think like, okay, well, it's our job to take care of our youth and take care of the old people and take care of the poor people and, and take care of international missions and do all these things where all of these are really good and important things, but we think that we're somehow on our own mm -hmm. to do it with our group of 200 or 500 or a thousand people that we're supposed to do all this. When I feel like when we look at a New Testament model, we see the church being geographical and Paul writes his letters to the church at, you know, name the letter. And it was more house churches and more people than just one, you know, group of believers. It was to the whole geographical region. So I would love to see more of the church drawn together. And really that's a point, not unity for unity's sake, right. but when we're friends and we know each other and we trust each other and we see our hearts and we affirm the authenticity of each other's faith, we can also identify kind of the areas where we're strongest because mm -hmm. there are different places where different groups of people can be uh, more effective. And sure. if we can see those gifts and affirm those gifts, uh, I think we can be more effective as the body of Christ. Yeah, and I think what you brought up was like the church versus the ministry. I think pretty much any church around the world has struggled with that exact dilemma, especially when you get uh, the old timers in the church. Not not old mm -hmm. as an age. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be an ageist here. <laughs> but I mean, the people who have been there for a long time compared to people who just come in. Yeah. And especially as a campus ministry, there'd be uh, something very important is to have that turnover, to have those mm -hmm. fresh faces come in. Because you can get really beholden to your ways and then not really open yourself up to the mercy of Christ and open yourself up to what can you be capable of? You just, you know, yeah. go into the same old, same old. Oh, we've mm -hmm. done this the same way for 150 years. Mm -hmm. So we're going to keep doing it this way. How it's going to be. Yeah. So then uh, you also do some work with Gray Mob and uh, design. And um, actually one of your designers right now is, is working with me at Purdue, Joe Price. But um, I was just curious, what do you what do you see as the future of Grey Mob? You've been involved with uh, Grey House before, the mm -hmm. coffee shop, and that's a, sort of a subsidiary ministry slash company that's sort of a part of Campus House. Yeah, tell yeah, us what it can, is. Can you say what that yeah, is? Yeah, what is that? What is Grey Mob? Yes, yeah, sure. So Grey Mob is an initiative from Campus House that we launched where we took the creative folks from Campus House, our designers, our web designers, and uh, put them together in an office with uh, some strategists to help students who uh, were passionate about making a difference in the world, of putting their faith into action, to actually put some assistance around their um, passion to help create 
I guess we should say, turning their passion into a possibility. And so hopefully, if you are routinely impacted by the gospel of Jesus, you will be putting your faith into action and living out and hoping to change some of the broken systems in the world, push back the effects of the fall, take care of orphans and widows, feed hungry people. And so especially with college students, we find that when they're impacted by the gospel, that they want to actually go out and do something, not just sit in pews and talk about it or sing about it, but actually try to make a verifiable difference in their community. So we organize Grey Mob to help people mobilize those ideas when they have a burden or a passion or an idea to help bring some wisdom and ability around uh, that passion to put it into action. I'm pretty excited about that. I mean, I, can Catholics join and come in and participate? All right. I mean, because that's a big struggle is the the creative and the Christian. I feel like Christian artwork and architecture has kind of been a little Subpar. crappy in the last 20, 50 years, 100 years. You know, you pick, pick the years. Are you saying that Christian rock isn't as good as regular rock? <laughs> How dare you? I can only imagine. <laughs> I want... I've heard some people say derivative, but I know some artists that went triple frankincense who would not want to hear that. (laughs) So I had a question, something that I really wanted to be a part of, but couldn't at the time. You had uh, your Faith and Works conference a little bit ago, and I saw some pictures from that, and that looked like a neat... It's the Faith and Work Conference. Oh, sorry. No, it's good. Not plural. It's it's good. Verb. Singular. The concept of work, not works, meritorious works. Yeah, exactly. Thanks thanks a lot, James. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Isn't that a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, the, the concept of the Faith and Work Conference is uh, I, maybe it's a theme across my whole life is that I like integration and unity, and I think that there's been a false bifurcation in in the Christian's life where somehow there's certain work that is more important than other work, that God doesn't care about the domain of architecture or the domain of science or business. Um, But we, and so sort of through the, uh, my couple years at Gray Mob, I realized that a lot of students were coming in with really good ideas uh, or a strong passion to do something, but they didn't really have the theological underpinnings to understand why what they were doing is important. And a strong why is so critical in launching a new project because things get difficult and your girlfriend breaks up with you or you're sick or you lose momentum or you hit a roadblock. And if you don't have a really strong why, then the project's going to fall apart. So we realized after seeing some of these projects fall apart is that we wanted to help build a stronger theological vision for why engagement in the world is important. So we did a lot of I did a lot of research and studying and went to some conferences, and we pulled together some of the best of that information to look at what an integrated Christian life looks like, why your work, your architecture, your actual architecture, the work you do every day, really does matter to God. And He's pointing at Matt. My architecture doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mine matters nominally. Yeah, Mom said I did a great job with the toothpicks and marshmallows, but it's not important. Right. <laughs> and it would probably fall and collapse and kill people in their Let's building. Be honest, so. It's still important to God because oh, you did it with love. It tasted great, oh. though. <laughs> So yeah, so the idea of the Faith and Work Conference is to help students and other people in our community start to piece together why their career and their actions in the world matter to God and can influence um, the community. So that's a good question then. Can we open it up to that question? Why does work matter? What exactly are we supposed to be doing? Mm. Mm. 
I, I, they're looking to me. Um, I can offer, uh, at least from the Catholic perspective, we have this uh, understanding of, uh, I won't go fully into redemptive suffering, but Thank this you. idea that everything that you do, every mm-hmm. work that you do, everything that you do can be offered up as a form of prayer. And I've thought about that a lot recently, welcoming my new daughter and being up late at night with her, uh, you know, yeah. holding her while she's screaming at the top of her lungs and she's pooping everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, but if you change your mindset and offer up yeah. those works to God instead of just doing them mindlessly, I think there's a lot of power to that um, just in general and not just your day-to-day, but your work and your life. I mean, everything. That's cool. Is it Mother Teresa that said we don't do great things, only things with great love? Yes. Or, was yeah. it Mother Teresa who said that? I don't yeah. know. Somebody <laughs> said that. Mother Teresa I actually said think everything. it was Sammy Hagar. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was... <laughs> Right. Did you want to play uh, the devil's advocate on this and argue that works don't matter? No. Oh, come on. Thank you. All right, then I will. Let's, okay, let's look ahead. at it this way. Everything is eventually going to die, heat, death. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be forgotten and exist. In the Four to five billion years, sun's going to explode. Increasing entropy until there's nothing left. Yeah. Basically, everything you do right now will be dust and won't even be dust. It'll be forgotten by everyone ever. Mm. So there's nothing you can do that can contribute to the mm. infinite timeline. Boy, I feel good right now. Not only that, most of what you do makes no difference in anyone's lives and no one notices what you're doing mm. or cares. Ooh. So, mm. I mean, that could, there could be some exceptions. Like, people probably still care a little bit what, like, Socrates said. But, you know, give it a few more thousand years and maybe we'll forget that too. Says Who Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this Socrates guy? Who's this Socrates? So let, let's let's take it a look that way. And that's, that's the nihilist position, but let's mm-hmm. take one other different version is this sort of uh, dualist evangelist position. Mm-hmm. Which is not, I think a lot of evangelicals, if you actually explained it this way, they would go, no, that's not what I think at all, but it's sort of that's implicit. How they practically live. That's exactly it. And, uh, and it's that, you know, so if we're all going to heaven, and a good friend of mine was actually asking me this question, why does God care about anything we do mm. in this timeline? If we're all destined for eternity, where we live forever, either, you know, somewhere else or in a new creation or wherever it is, that's an eternal timeline. And this timeline seems pretty insignificant yeah, compared it's to tiny. eternity. So that's, that's two different versions where our work mm-hmm. is really kind of irrelevant. So how would you argue against yeah. that? Yeah, so the way that I'm going to argue against it assumes a Christian worldview. Um, so if you can grant me that to start, well, that I'm going to use scripture to defend my belief. So a nihilist might reject that and say, you know, but, you know, reject your premise that there is no God and none of this matters. And so we'll have a hard time to talk about it. But I'd love to address the second one specifically is that I think even starting in Genesis that we get (laughs) starting in Genesis, I, uh, this is going to be a long podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be at Leviticus in about 15 minutes. If you want to just skip ahead. (laughs) Um, but uh, we're, God does something unique when he creates, he, he takes nothing, right? And he creates something out of it. He begins to create the world and he creates water and atmosphere and animals and plants and he blesses them and causes them to multiply and then he creates humanity and he does something special with humanity. Uh, with plants and animals, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, but it says that he created humans in his image which is important, and mandate, a mandate to multiply, fill, and rule. He gives them dominion, which is something he hasn't given any of the other creation. So they are granted an authority over creation that is different than how, you know, everything else is passed out, how assignments are passed out to the other parts of creation. There's multiply, for humanity, it is exercise dominion. And we see that he has built 
humans in his image, that he built them in his image. And so with the authority, we have a mandate to almost like live out God's image. We can't create from nothing, but we can create from something, right? So we're sitting at a table made out of wood and metal, which is cool. Uh, and, you know, this is wood's particularly cool because it's pretty easy to understand that a tree grew, right? God didn't invent tables, but he invented trees. And then humans came up with a way to chop down trees and plane them and finish them and construct them in a way that it is useful. Uh, God didn't invent poodles. God invented some canines and some crazy things and people like bred from wolves, basically bred poodles, which is insane and awesome. <laughs> God didn't invent guitars. He invented, you know, wood and horse hair, right? And vibration. And vibration. And somehow humans capturing their image bearingness, creativity, and used you know, created something out of other somethings that God created. When you have glass, that is sand and heat. That's amazing. You have concrete, which is different kinds of rocks mixed together to create things. So humans are using their God-given um, mandate and their God-given authority to bear his image in creative ways, to be able to create things that are beautiful or useful, that can push back the effects of the fall, that can create beauty or order or make, you know, life sustainable um, and easier. I like to think of this like a giant uh, uh, initiation into heaven. We're preparing ourselves. We're at boot camp. We, by our works and by our actions, we are preparing our souls to be ready for that grace uh, that is just uh, un unboundless, right? Um, so we are just trying to make ourselves, orient ourselves by our works towards Christ's image. That so, would... but then, I mean, there's no particular thing to accomplish really in that aspect no. because, you know, so long as you're saved, quote unquote saved, then you still enter that eternity. And does it really make a difference if you're whether or not you worked really hard. Yeah. For, I mean, it's eternity. You got eternity. Like, okay, if I spent yeah. five years working at, you know, a charitable house, like, how much of a difference does that make for eternity? Me, really? Like, I worked for a major cell phone carrier. And let me tell you, the year and a half I spent there, that work didn't matter. It didn't matter. No. You, it, but it mattered towards your formation. You've got so many rollover minutes, though. I've got a lot of... Well, that's giving it away. <laughs> Who I worked for. Uh, My severance package was five million rollover minutes. <laughs> The theoretical concept. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out there uh, Saint Therese of the Lisieux, the little flower, and uh, you know I think about our From works. Batman Begins. Yeah. Name dropping. Yeah, the little like the little poppy blue flower, flower that, that you have to get on a mountain. Yeah, Saint Therese. Yeah, Saint Therese. Um, so if all flowers were roses, if we all just did amazing works, uh, the field wouldn't look as beautiful. But if we are all our own individual little flowers doing our little works or little tiny works for God. It's a beautiful, beautiful hill. You sound like a millennial right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's actually a, a decent argument. I think there's something we have to accomplish. I think material reality has to be significant. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Does does the reality that we're sitting in matter? Man, I think so because, you know, creation starts in a garden and we see it wrap up in Revelation in a city. Right. Yes! And it's not a city that is somewhere else. God's dwelling places amongst his people. Right. right. That... that 
this matters because in a new heaven and a new earth, I don't think everything just gets scrapped, right? Because mm-hmm. here he talks about, um, you know, God coming back down, but then all of these rare jewels that have been like hand carved and scra- like created that um, people from all over kings will bring beauty into this city. And that I think we will bring the offerings of what we've created and how we've bared God's image throughout the earth into final eternity that I believe there will be music in heaven. Hopefully there will be Bach in heaven, right? But heaven isn't just this disembodied place. Ultimately, ultimately heaven is coming back to earth and Jesus is coming back and bringing heaven with him. And so the ultimate vision is for the earth to be filled with the glory and image of God and that we get to begin to participate that when we steward our creative capacity to reflect God's image and goodness today. That's that's pretty good. That's Matt and I, Matt Wallace and I have been having the conversation surrounding another podcast. It's probably a little faux pas to reference a podcast on a podcast, isn't it? But the idea placement, the (laughs) idea though, that, uh, you know, if, if your, your whole end game is to go somewhere else someday, then it doesn't really matter what you do here. Mm-hmm. And then environmentally, you become kind of a jerk. Right. You know, like you, you can strip mine yeah. and things like that property yeah. that you don't have to care about because this place doesn't matter. And who knows about future generations? Yeah. Jesus is going to rapture all of us somewhere else. Right. And so it just, what's it's your end theology. game? Yeah. 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 Well, and, and also it's just bad Christianity. I mean, if you're anything that you do, if it is causing harm to another you're essentially not being Christian. So if you're you're doing anything from a work standpoint or from a consumption standpoint that is harming another individual, there's a problem there that needs to be resolved, right? Um, I want to share one excerpt. This is when Dave was just beginning to work on, well, you not just beginning, but you were really getting into the faith and work stuff. Uh, I talked with you a little bit about um, Deschardins, mm-hmm. Teilhard Deschardins, and your friend John Erickson. And there was one excerpt of just, this is, this is how he puts it, which I think is pretty succinct, and it sort of matches what uh, Matt was saying from Therese. Uh, he said, It is through the collaboration which he stimulates in us that Christ, starting from all created things, is consummated and attains his plenitude. We serve to complete creation, even by the humblest work of our hands. That is, ultimately, the meaning and value of our acts. We are cooperating with God in creating the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that holds true with the Gospels. If you look at it, what is... What is Jesus always talking about? What does he urge his disciples to do? Bring the kingdom here. Yeah. Bring the kingdom here. And I think when we really look at work, uh, you know, it might feel sometimes like maybe cleaning the toilet is not particularly bringing the kingdom or, you know, working at a cell phone store is not particularly bringing the kingdom. But essentially, as long as we're participating mm-hmm. in reality and acknowledging that it has meaning and that life is a good thing, I think well, we're yeah, sort of confirming. I was being facetious about the whole cell phone store thing, but yeah, yeah. you spend eight, nine hours a day interacting with other people. So like every mm-hmm. single one of those interactions mattered, whether or not the paycheck mattered and why I got it. Especially, <laughs> especially if you wear that Christian mm-hmm. on your chest. Oh, right? I had an ictus right next to the little globe. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the ictus was eating the globe. You had a what would Jesus do bracelet said, on. Christ is better than AT&T. <laughs> I didn't sell you that unlimited data package because I like you. It's because I'm a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you have to, you were always representing the Christian faith in everything that you do. So in your AT&T, when you're talking to customers who may or may not be pissing you off. It may uh, or not have been AT&T. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, you 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 are being Christian in that act, and sure. you have no idea who you impacted sure. on that one random day. There's a uh, a picture I saw shared on Facebook once that was um, so it had to be true, but uh, <laughs> it was it was a of a janitor at some elementary school, and there was a lineup of like 25 kids standing in line waiting for this janitor to sign their yearbook. And we could say, okay, how meaningful is the position of a janitor? I think it's very meaningful. It's keeping an environment clean. It's making mm-hmm. it a sustainable, healthy place for people to live. You know, God created a garden for Adam and Eve to live in. It was a good place for them to live. Cleanliness is important. And so it's a... I hear it's next you know, to godliness, actually. Well, it's in the Bible. <laughs> uh, but uh, but to, you can pursue that job as a janitor in a couple of different ways. This guy could have, those kids weren't compelled to go make a janitor, have a janitor sign their yearbook. Somebody wasn't like, oh, it's a good idea. Let's go get the janitor to sign our yearbook. It's like this guy had a meaningful interaction with these students and made a difference by being joyful or caring for the students or doing his job in a way that brings life instead of just enduring a job he may not want to do. It made a real difference for these kids where they wanted his signature and Inscribed on the yearbook to remember that because he was a meaningful part of their educational experience. And I think that we can, whatever it is that we do, I, I attended bar for a long time. I managed Chumley's when I was in school. I was one of the bar managers there and like still have meaningful relationships with customers mm-hmm. that I built back then. And I could have either said, oh, this is just a job to make money, or I could actually love and care for these people as they're on the other side of my bar. And it's paid dividends relationally. And hopefully I was able to represent in some small way, Jesus who loves them and listens to them as I'm, you know, pouring their beer. No. So I was just going to say, that's really kind of the challenge here, isn't it? Is that you have to have a reason that work is meaningful that levels the playing field. I mean, for someone to say, well, Matt Powley, what you do is kind of more intuitively, intrinsically important. You work on buildings. Buildings it's visible, are, right? Uh, yeah. It's visible. It's a big thing. Lots of It works for lots of people. You have to give a meaning to work that doesn't depend on exactly what's accomplished but it's more about the act of working. Yeah, I, and, and I'd be interested in bringing this back to the college experience, right, of Campus House, and how do you give, a lot of these students right now, my wife, she's up at Purdue, and she had a student ask her the other day, what can I do with my degree, mm-hmm. right? They're looking for that meaning. And how then do you take what we've been talking about work and give it back to those college students and say what you're doing you know, in school is important, what you're going to do in the future is important, and it doesn't matter if you're getting anything from an engineering degree, a lowly engineering degree, to the most important degree in the world, communication studies, um, Brian Lamb School, <laughs> shout out to my wife. <laughs> well, I think, it's, I don't mean to jump in, no. but the phrase that's been J- popping. Jump in, Ryan. Thank you, Dave. Uh, <laughs> Dave's actually going to take over my post on the podcast. I will just be the uh, one-time guest. <laughs> the, the phrase, finding the divine in the daily, like being able to find the divine presence in the daily mundane minutia of, of your life, I think is the interesting thing that is particularly hard to teach kids. I, I deal with our youth kids, so middle school and high school, um, so maybe you can speak to college students a little bit about that, but I think that's one of the particular challenges that I find is how do you, how do you teach like this matters, it all matters. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Thanks. I uh, I think that's the part of the the end goal is helping them to understand that all, your whole life matters to God. Uh, Kuiper has a quote. Uh, man, I butcher quotes. Abraham Kuiper, uh, yeah. Calvinist, 18th century. Oh, well, yeah. he brought up a Calvinist. I am out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. 
I quit. I'm, I told you the moment we brought a Calvinist into this, I'm done. No, this is good. We, we quoted Kuiper and Therese. I, I think I got it wrong, though. I think yeah. it's 19th century. Ecumenicalism, Ryan. Yeah, I'm ecumenical as hell until Calvinists get brought in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Kuiper says, no single piece of our mental world is to be hermetically sealed off from the rest. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. And so I think part of it is this understanding. I that- think I'm having an aneurysm trying not to agree with this. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Anyway, go ahead. But but the idea is that that all of our lives actually matters. And I think that, and I don't know if this has always been an issue or if it's something unique to our time today, but there is such a desire to not be present where we are, whether that's in school, looking ahead to when we're going to be making all this money, whether it's in a conversation, checking our social media feed, or uh, with people and in a relationship, dreaming about being somewhere else or suffering from the fear of missing out or whatever it is, that we're just so unsatisfied with being in today and in this moment and in this state that um, I think it's really important to help people to understand one everything they do matters and now really matters Lewis has a quote that I'll butcher if I don't have it in front of me but uh, Clive Staples yeah yeah that, that one uh, but something about living in the past is not helpful because it's like a river frozen over and looking into the future is just missed, but we can actually interact with God only today. Like right now is the only time that we actually can interact with God. So helping students to understand like the power of being present, whether it's in a job that you don't love or a class that you don't love or, you know, a social situation, a podcast that you I don't love. love. <laughs> don't love. Uh, but. Hey, my mom hasn't turned it off yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mom. That was a beautiful quote that we just crapped all over. Because nah, I'm gonna going, cut, we're going to cut that. <laughs> so gonna, it's a beautiful no. quote and then cut Probably. out all the nonsense. Maybe not. This is an unedited <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Raw. Live and raw. Let's right. put a button on this one. We're, Let's do that. I think we're getting to a good spot. Um, <clears throat> And I don't know how we should. Well, so I thought about this. Uh, what if what if we went all around the table, ending with Dave, and uh, Matt? You can put your own button on it, Matt Wallace. Uh, if someone's listened to this episode, what is one thing that you want them to take away from it? And we can kind of go around the table, and then Dave, we can finish with you, and you can kind of plug um, Campus House and whatever things you have going on, times, dates, things like that. If people want to get connected with you, yeah, how they can they can get connected with the ministry that you're doing here in town. Yeah. So we'll give you some time to set that up. But Matt, why don't you? Take us to the throne. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Final thoughts. Yeah, that's what maybe we just call it. Final. I thoughts. think that's a good idea. Final, final thoughts. This final is a segment thoughts. we like to call final thoughts. So this now we're at the part where we give you our final thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought Ryan and I did a good job of setting you up there. You did. You just. He's just being. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm imagining the intro to the yeah, segment. This is just redundancy. Like, and now it's final <laughs> thoughts. I went minor. Were you going That's Amazing funny. Grace there? I don't. Final I don't go thoughts. anything. I'm not a singer. Okay. <laughs> All right, Matt. What What are your final thoughts for this uh, episode? Put a button on it, would you? Well, I think Dave's doing a lot of great work at Campus House, and it, it is a difficult ministry that it's sort of. Um, skirts existence of being a parachurch just because of the way it is and that's what we talked about like pragmatically speaking it's a church 
it functions like a church, but it has limitations that other churches don't have. But it also has advantages that other churches don't have. It's great for Purdue students. It really is. We went there for a while, me and uh, my wife, Stacy. Um, and for adults, they grow that ministry, and it goes and ebbs and flows, and it can be great for adults too, but um, it's primarily a student ministry. Um, but I think Dave's doing great work, especially I love his faith and work stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, work to be done in theology right now about sort of justifying work because it's not obvious why we ought to do anything, especially not in the way evangelicals have been thinking about, you know, eternity and the present and the meaning of our work and things like that. It was sort of a given in, uh, um, for instance, uh, the sociologist Max Weber made a case that Calvinism basically built America with its work ethic. And I think that's slowly starting to wane. God. Um, and I, I think evangelicals didn't necessarily pick up and keep carrying that aspect of it. And so now people are starting to get into the millennial generation and Generation X and asking, why should I do anything? And we don't have a great answer because we haven't been thinking about that for a long time. Hmm. Wow. Well, mine's not going to sound quite as exciting as that. Um, I think I think what Dave was talking about with bringing college students together from different denominations, from different backgrounds, bringing them together and and expressing your Christianity and showing it off to one another. Because right now we need more and more unity in this world and we need more and more people to empathize with one another. And I think, you know, the, the Christian church as a whole is a great place to start with that. And so I'm really excited about that. Um, also, just what we were discussing about work, everyday work as being... Um, there for Christ. I'm really excited about that because, you know, sometimes I hate my job. <laughs> sometimes I uh, am tired. Sometimes I'm worn down. And particularly for college students who are uh, facing a world full of distractions, like we talked about, full of, uh, you know, not knowing if they're going to have a job coming out of college and uh, suicide rates climbing, right? You know, that kind of, that thought of not having a place and you know what everybody has a place with Christ everybody has a place doing their works their vocation in the world and that's kind of my final thought I was thinking about people that are their work is their um, practitioners I think of the faith if you're listening to this to like uh, I guess I hope that this can be the start of community for those of us that, that find ourselves working in paid full-time ministry um, to have more ecumenical conversations and maybe reach out to one another a little bit more to reduce maybe some of the redundancy and actually mm-hmm. make more positive impact for Greater Lafayette rather than just trying to step over each other on each other's toes. So that's take hope. We're all out here. That's right. And Dave, final thoughts. All right. Um, they're, they're random, but the first one is affirming a Catholic architect because I don't always get to do this. Is Woo! One thing that the evangelical church oftentimes gets wrong, that the Catholic church almost always gets right, is the importance of beauty and architecture. I have almost never been in a Catholic church or cathedral or building that it has not inspired me to say, man, like they understand beauty in the way things work together. So to affirm not only Catholics, uh, the Catholic church's value on architecture but to do that to a catholic architect is awesome so what's in a lifetime to take that take that indulgence you're validated for good uh secondly is just for everybody who's listening is uh man unity is great especially inside of the bounds of christianity to reach out and instead of looking to judge people based on what 
they aren't or what you're not. Look to affirm the gifts of each other. Don't let the gifts of another group of people threaten you. Celebrate it. Let it be a gift and look on how you can draw together. And then if you want to look up what we're doing, pcch.org or the Ugly Mushroom Building on campus. We'll have dates for faith and work coming up. That's not until November. So yeah, it'll be Are, November. Uh, in the faith and works. I'm sorry, work. Dang it, I did it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you uh, did it. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Um, adults, college students. Who are we talking? Yeah, it's about? open to the community. Okay. So we had people. Yeah, it's open to the community. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. It sounds great. I'm excited. I yeah. want to try and go to it. And also at the end, I thought it would be neat if we did like a quick like index of like people mentioned that you should read more from because they're neat. Mm. Okay. Um, you mentioned Therese of Lisieux, Rachel Ghoul. <laughs> that is a bad guy from Batman for those Batman not begins. I mean if you're gonna go there Darn it. let's start over because now it's all screwed up I just thought people listening here I'll, I'll, do, I'll do Therese okay. for the record I'm going to do it again dang it just <laughs> slip it in and keep going okay, yeah, so, okay. So, today on the podcast we mentioned uh, Therese of Lassoo Rachel Ghoul Abraham Kuyper that was mine oh sorry I thought you were, you do it take yours Abraham Kuyper and uh, Teilhard de Chardin. And you had also C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis. But yes, that's a given. Yes. I'm an evangelical. <laughs> and if you want to know more about Calvinism, um, put a millstone around your neck and jump in the Wabash <laughs> doesn't River. doesn't mean just that. Kidding. I don't mean, mean that. that. I'm just kidding. Uh, but we did reference John Calvin, and uh, we did Calvinism. You did. Uh, that you count. did just now. That doesn't yeah. count. Okay, fine. It doesn't count. Good. Calvinism doesn't count. You guys heard it on record. <laughs> I, think, I think we can only do it for people that we basically like quote or paraphrase. Cool. Um, so I wanted to say thank you, Dave, for coming out and talking with yes, us. Yes, thank you for being on thank the, the inaugural it. episode of the podcast. Yeah, thank you guys for doing this. I think this will be a really exciting conversation and podcast for our community. All right. That's it for Pith and Piety. Pith and Piety. <laughs>